Welcome to Shekinah International Podcast. Our ministry reflects the five-fold ministry model Apostle Paul mentions in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. Our podcast features leaders from multiple churches who are passionate about equipping Christians just like you to walk in purity and power, fulfilling your God-given purpose. God wants to do great exploits through you, so enjoy today's podcast. Let's give God a hand clap. Can we just thank God? Thank everybody. Thank him for everybody who has participated so far. Isn't God good? So it was so neat. Brent called me the other day and was telling me about that song, and he just said, Dave just said, it really struck him that his guitar playing, which he's being humble, was so beautiful. And that he thinks that this song is going to make a tremendous impact. So I just feel like it's a first fruit in a sense. It's the birthing that, that Matt was talking about from Adar to and the Shemitah year where we've rested. And it's coming at a time when our nation needs to hear the heart of God to say, let there be life. Let there be life. So that's so exciting. I was kind of giggling, of course, as always, we prepare and ask Father God, what do you want to say to your people today? And worship always, always, always sets us up for exactly what Father God is doing. And I just absolutely love it every time. I'm like, God, you're so good. Isn't it fun when Holy Spirit's in charge? All right, we can rest and relax a little bit and know that Abba is really good at putting a message forth that he wants to put forth. And the way everything just weaved together beautifully today so encouraged my heart. Anybody else refreshed? Yeah, I was too. I was too. So good. So as usual, you know, kind of just talking to Daddy, saying, what do you want to say to your people? And immediately I heard this verse, this one here. From Isaiah, we're, oh, just so you know, today we are going to be talking about perfect peace. Can you say that with me? Turn to your neighbor. Say, it's possible. Perfect peace is possible. That's right. We're going to be working out of Isaiah 26, 3, and we'll be coming back to that, and then we're going to touch on um, a couple verses out of Romans as well. But we're going to talk about perfect peace more than ever in the church and in our nation and with this love war that's been prophesied even today during our time and this need to be able to stand in the face of darkness or opposition or difficulty and gently and graciously love and kiss the foreheads of our greatest enemies, we need to be able and graced and understand how to walk in perfect peace. So that when those opportunities come and when God opens up those doors and Holy Spirit prompts us, we're not standing there trembling and nervous and scared and intimidated, but we have rest. And there's stillness on the inside of us. And with great confidence, full of his love, we can lean in with all sincerity of heart and bless and encourage and be an example of God's perfect love to our greatest enemies. Amen. So I'm just going to read this verse in a couple different translations first to give you some context, to give you a little bit of a more well-rounded um, perspective from the scripture, okay? So I'm going to start with NIV. And let me just see here. Yeah, it's right here. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. 
Passion Translation says it like this. You will keep in perfect, absolute peace will surround those whose imaginations are consumed with you and therefore they confidently trust in you. So this idea of all of our thoughts and imaginations and feelings being consumed with who God is and that gives us the confidence to trust him. The Amplified is really fun. Isaiah 26, 3 in the Amplified says this, you will keep in perfect and constant peace. In other words, an uninterrupted peace. How many of you still get interrupted every once in a while? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we all do, right? Yeah, but think about that. That's possible. He says, you will keep in perfect and constant peace the one whose mind is steadfast. And the Amplified goes on to say that is committed. Just decree that over yourself. I am committed to the Lord. That is focused, say, I am focused on you, Lord. In both inclination, which is the desire or motive of the heart, and character. Okay, so the desire to remain in peace and to remain focused on him. And the actionable walking out and manifest reality of continuing to come back quickly, come back quickly. If there is an interruption, we come back, what, quickly. Yeah, good, 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 good. So let's go to the next slide here. Can I give this to you, Cam? Want a next slide? Yeah, would that be all right? Thanks, love. All right, so if we're going to talk about kingdom peace and perfect peace, it's really important to talk about the world's idea of peace, right? We've got to contrast the two. There's a kingdom of this world, and there's a kingdom of what? God, right? He says, my kingdom is righteousness. What's next? Peace. And joy, yes. We, I laughed today when we came in because Cammie was real giddy. I was really giddy. I couldn't stop laughing. Laura was real giddy. And Brent says, well, is this like a family thing? But then when Matt said that about the joy, I was like, hey. I'm like, no, we're just riding the wave of joy of Odar. It's time to celebrate because we're coming forth and we're breaking through. Anybody besides me feel a breakthrough in the spirit this month? I'm telling you what, something has shifted. Something has shifted. I have seen war one after a war one after a war one. The Lord has shut the mouth of enemy after enemy after enemy this month. And it has been miraculous and gloriously redemptive. And the beauty of when and how God does this is he doesn't just shame them. He fills us with his love to go and bring the kiss of God. And we come right up behind the shutting of the mouth and the silencing of the oppressors to say, I bid you come and see that God is good. He loved me and he loves you. And so we're posturing in our hearts in this time of celebration for that. So this, the world's idea of perfect peace. I was kind of mulling this over a little bit and I was thinking, well, for me sometimes, you stay on that slide, baby girl. I'm going to got a little bit on here is this getaway. So you look at this picture and you think, oh yeah, I can imagine sitting in a beautiful Caribbean place looking out a full glass window, staring at a pool with my feet up, right? In my comfortable, loose, cool linen outfit, sipping on some orange juice, right? Eating my mangoes, feeling the breeze come off the water and just, ah. 
You're there in the spirit, right? Your imagination's taking you there. You can smell the salt. You take that deep breath. Everything's silent. That's a world idea of peace, right? That idea that if I can get out of these circumstances, get away from these frustrating people, all these people, if it wasn't for these people, (laughs) who are draining the life out of me, I would have peace. There's some truth to that, right? Self-care is very important, and we have to take vacations. We have to take seasons away. Jesus even went away to the mountain to pray, right? So there's validity to coming away with him, okay? But the world says all your peace will be restored if you can get to the right place. Yeah, come on. The world's idea of peace is, well, if I just had enough money, I wouldn't have to worry about it when my car breaks down, when my furnace doesn't work, when my kids got to go to college, when my mortgage is due. I'd have so much peace, I wouldn't have any worries, right? I could invest as much money as I want. I could get shoes. When my shoes wear out, I could buy the $300 Italian leather shoes that I want, (laughs) right? I have several wealthy friends, and we don't think about this. But the more money you have, the more people want from you. Okay? So more money doesn't necessarily mean more peace. They got people knocking on their door all the time. Gimme, 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 gimme. Would you support this? Would you support that? Hey, you've got money. Could you help me with this? Could you help our nonprofit? Could you donate for this? Could you donate for that? Hey, would you come to this event we're having? We'd like you to speak. Right? To whom much is given, much is required. Right? So we think, I mean, the world would say, oh, that'll give you so much peace. But then you get there and you don't realize, I got my ladder leaning on the wrong building. This isn't the building. This isn't it. So, you, so we switch it. We're like, okay, what's next? Well, if I could just get married and start a family, oh, I'd have so much peace. And all the young people are like, amen. I just want my little nuggets. I want my little babies. I want to have those beautiful children. I want my lineage to continue. I'll have so much peace. And then you give birth to that beautiful baby. Ooh, ah, it's not what I thought. No sleep the first three months. You smell like spit up, your hair doesn't get washed, your clothes begin to have holes in them, and you don't care because you're so tired. And you think, Lord, I was so full of joy when I gave birth to this child, and my husband and I celebrated, and we prepared for a whole year, and I can't even think I'm calling my child by the name of my dog because I'm so sleepy. I do not have peace. (laughs) Right? Or maybe some of you, like me, you've gone through a broken relationship. If my marriage could just be restored, I'd have peace. If my friendship could just be restored, I'd have peace. And we got that ladder leaned up against a relationship and someone else filling that hole or that void in us. If I could just find a job in my area of expertise, I graduated, I paid $110,000 for this BA, for this master's, for this doctorate. I would have so much peace. I just need God to open this door or open that door and make a way for me to be who I've prepared all this time to be. Then I'd have peace. Maybe you don't have a job. Maybe you're listening and you're thinking, yeah, well, if I had any job... (laughs) I would have peace. I could feed my family and take care of my needs. If I just had a good job, if I just had a better job, if I just had a job I liked, 
I just had a job where I could sit in that resort room right there and not have to deal with people. I have peace. I'm <laughs> oh, just saying. If my car didn't break down all the time, I'd have peace. If I could just have a child, I'd have peace. If this relationship was restored, I'd have peace. If my children weren't going astray, I would have peace. I'd be all right. But our ladder's leaning on the wrong building. All of these statements are conditional based on circumstances or relationships or other people and their behavior. But perfect peace is not contingent upon your circumstances. It is not contingent upon other people and how they are behaving or not behaving on whether or not they're connected to you or not connected to you. It's not contingent on what you have and what you don't have. Perfect peace has one source, and his name is Jesus. He said, I am the prince of peace. John 16, 33 in the NAV, he says, I've told you these things so that in me, in me, you may have peace. And it's interesting, he goes on to tell his disciples, I need you to know this. In this world, you will have what? Trouble. You're going to have it. You just are. And I think, I don't know about you, but sometimes I forget. And I'm thinking, I've prayed it, I've slayed it, and now things are going to go great it. <laughs> right? And the little reminds me, dee -dee -dee -dee, rewind. <laughs> Hello. I was like, oh, you get a couple, you know, getting a boxing match there with some things that the Lord wants to prune off of you. You're like, oh, I see. I see, I see. In this world, I will have trouble. But then what does he say? He says, but take heart. You guard that heart. You take heart. You hold on to the love that he has poured out in your heart. You protect your heart. You take courage in your heart. Because why? Jesus said, I have. Not I will, not I'm going to, not wait for me, I'm about to do it. But he said, I have overcome the world. And what's interesting, in this particular passage, he hadn't gone to the cross yet. I have overcome the world. The context of this is awesome. And you can turn there with me if you want. Go ahead and turn to John 16. We're going to... Look at verses 5 through 16. This is as the Lord's getting ready to go. He hadn't gone yet. And I am in the NIV this time, okay? We're going to look at start at 16, verse 5. When you're there, just say you're there. You're there? Okay. The entire context of this verse is the work of of the Holy Spirit. It's, this is Jesus talking. He says, now, I am going to him who sent me. He's preparing them for his, he's going to leave. Yet none of you asks me, where are you going? Because I've said these things, you're filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is good that I am going away. Unless I go away, 
the counselor will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. But I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. Have you ever been in a place in your walk with the Lord where the Lord gave you a little bit and you knew there was more, but he couldn't give you more because you were already so grieved by what you were facing in your circumstance? And he says, I'm just going to give you this little bit because I need you to take heart. I need you to guard your heart. But don't look down the road. Don't be frustrated. I know you know that there's more, but I'll give that to you in the right time. Just keep your eyes on me. Let's get through this piece. Let's get through this portion. Let's get through this segment of the journey. And I need you to keep your eyes on me because I have overcome. And I'm actually working something in you, child. Amen. We know he overcame by his own laying down his life for us, right? He died. He was buried. He rose again. And what else? He was seated. But the full work is he said, I will send the Holy Spirit. We talk a lot about the death and burial and resurrection and him being seated in the heavenly places and us being seated with him. But we, we forget sometimes we wouldn't even be able to operate there if he hadn't sent Holy Spirit. And I love to pause sometimes and think about that reality that the very spirit, the very power that raised Christ from the dead dwells on the inside of me. Think about that. Jesus didn't raise himself from the dead. It said he, he was a man. the very power that raised Christ from the dead. So what, who is that power? Come on, somebody. That's Holy Spirit. And that same power, that same spirit lives in you. So whatever dead circumstance you're standing in or you're facing or you come to, that same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells on the inside of you. And it can raise you up out of that issue. It can take you up from out from the midst of your enemy that are trying to destroy you and take you down. And it can bring you into the fullness of your destiny and sit you back up in that place of the third heaven with the king of kings and the Lord of lords at the right hand of the father with Jesus Christ. And restore you and redeem that situation. And out of your obedience, out of your surrender to him, out of your allowing Holy Spirit to do his work in and through you, it says, do you remember when it says Jesus brought multitudes with him in this train? Every act of obedience you do, remember he said many more works will you do than I did? Every time you obey, it has a multiplying effect on the people around you. Think about why you got saved, how you got saved. Who was in your life? Who did God use? Who did you look at and go, man, there's something about so-and-so. That light, that joy, those hugs, I don't know, but I kind of want it. I kind of like it. I kind of need more of that. I don't know how they got there, but, man, it's drawing me in. Their life 
had a multiplied effect on you, your life. The power of Christ in you is having a multiplied effect on others. And you're calling them in. You're bringing them in. They're following in the train of the glory of the power of God on your life. You're not even trying. You don't even have to make it happen. You just let him be who he is through you. Isn't that awesome? He says, I have overcome. And I love this. So the whole context of this, take heart. In this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. It's in, it's in the context of Jesus preparing his disciples that he's going to leave. And it's going to look different. Then you ever had anybody in your life? Okay, so like when I went to Texas last week, sometimes, right? Okay, so the senior leader takes off, and sometimes it's like, Laura and I used to joke about this. She said, I don't know, Steph, it's different when you're gone. <laughs> yeah, but the same spirit that dwells in me dwells in you. It's the same. Let that mantle pass. Who's going to step up and let Holy Spirit flow through them that way? It might look a little different, might feel a little different, might sound a little different, but it's still the same spirit. He still wants to do just as many awesome things in our midst, right? And it's getting comfortable with going, okay, I'm the vessel he wants to use today. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, say, guess what? You're the vessel. Yeah, come on. Come on. Helen just points at everybody. Amen. <laughs> I love it. He goes on, and, and Jesus says in verse 13 of John 16, but when he, the spirit of truth, somebody say the spirit of truth. You know what? I'm just, we just need to do this real quick. Just agree with me for our nation. Say, I decree and declare the spirit of truth. Return to this nation in Jesus' name. And the spirit of mercy go with it. Amen. It says righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne, but mercy and truth go before him. Okay, his mercy and truth go before him. So we want to establish righteousness and justice. People talk a lot about, I, somebody said to me in a meeting the other day, so Stephanie, I do not care about the truth. I just want justice. I said, well, honey, that's called vengeance. That's called payback. Because righteousness and justice are the foundation of his truth, but that righteousness is free because Jesus paid the just price on our behalf. So guess what? There is no true justice without truth and mercy going before him. Now, we have to acknowledge the truth that we miss it and we're messed up and our nation and us and we as people are completely imperfect and have totally failed in so many ways, but we also have to be merciful to ourselves. We have to receive the mercy of the Lord to know that he takes broken and cracked pots and messed up people like us, and he says, yep, I want that one. Why? Because I'm going to show myself glory, glorified and awesome and loving and redemptive and restored through that mess right there. Because if you give me something that's all put together, I don't have anything to prove. You're not going to see me. You're going to see that. But give me that hot mess that everybody thinks is not fixable, and I'll tell you what. I will show you how good I am. I will show you how faithful I am. I will show you how awesome I am. I will show you how able I am because I am that I am. 
I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I never change. And just like I brought the Israelites out of Egypt, I will bring this nation out. I will bring your family out. I will bring your marriage out. I will bring your children out because I am enough. It says, but when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. The scripture tells us that it's the truth that sets us free. Right? Now, if you're beat up with the truth, it condemns you. But the truth in light of his mercy on your behalf is freeing. Because you face the reality of whatever situation you need to face, but you face it in light of the cross and the finished work of Jesus, and there's no pressure to perform. You simply are overwhelmed by his goodness as you receive. What an awesome gift. What an awesome, awesome gift. So it says he'll guide you into all truth. And then it says this. This is the beauty of Holy Spirit. He will never speak on his own. He will only speak what he hears, and he will tell you what is to come. How many of you want to know sometimes what's to come? How many find it a little helpful to know you're about to get sidewinded? I can't tell you the number of times I've been at the stoplight or in traffic and Father God's having me pray over this building, pray over that building, pray over this building. And he's like, look up. I need to put my brakes on because somebody's stopping on a dime in front of me and I'm busy. Okay, doing prayer assignments on the road. He'll tell me what's about to come. He'll tell you what's about to come. How many of you have ever been in a circumstance where you didn't, no one had told you something was coming your way, but you just new in your knower. That's Holy Spirit. I don't know why I know this, but I know that individual is not going to be here very long. I don't know why I know this, but I feel like so-and-so is going home to be with the Lord soon. I don't know why I feel this, but whatever, whatever the case may be. I know God's going to financially provide for me. I just know it here. I'm going to be okay. That's Holy Spirit talking to you. And the beauty of this is when you have that, those inclinations and Holy Spirit tells you something, you can put it in the bank. Because he's only and ever says what Father God tells him to say. And he never speaks on his own accord. We are among the most privileged people in all of history, it says the apostles and prophets longed to see our day, the prophets of old. Holy Spirit came upon them, but he didn't come in them. He didn't dwell in them, but he would come upon them. It says they longed and looked forward to our day. What an honor to participate in the divine nature, to be one with the creator of heaven and earth, to be called a child of God. That's who Jesus was. That's what he calls you. That's what he calls me. In fact, in Romans it says we can call him what? Abba, Daddy, Father. What an honor. Sometimes it blows my mind. He goes on in John 16 and says, He, 
being Holy Spirit will bring glory to me. And I don't know why, but I feel like I need to say this. Sometimes a good litmus test for whether or not something is the Spirit of God is who's getting the glory. Who's this about? Is this individual going, I'm and I'm so wonderful, an apostle, prophet, and evangelist with 14 doctors and before my name, and I did this miracle and I did that miracle? Or are they humble and are they giving God all the glory? Right? When God gets the glory, it's an affirmation that the person is really well aligned in their soul with Holy Spirit. And that doesn't, I'm not talking about false humility, you know, like when somebody says, oh, man, great job with worship. Oh, that was all God. No, it wasn't. You opened your mouth, you obeyed, and you submitted. It wasn't all God, right? He used your vocal cords. But the reality is this. We, yeah, thank you so much. We get, God is so good, isn't he? Right? You see, they're giving God the glory, but they're not, it's not that false humility of, well, I didn't do anything. Yeah, you did. You had to practice for three hours. You had to pick out all the songs. You had to sit there and be patient and while your hand cramped up and try to stretch it back out so you could keep playing. You know, poor Brent, he does it all the time, right? There's vessels. God uses vessels and you're a vessel. <laughs> That's just a freebie. I don't know. That was from, yeah. Thank you, Jesus. I love this. He said, all that belongs to the Father is mine. Mm-mm-mm. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. Pause and think about that for a second. Every revelation that's been made known to you, Holy Spirit has taken from the Lord and made it known to you. Come on, somebody. Every revelation you've been given is a piece of Jesus. The living word, the light of the world, Yeshua HaMashiach. That's amazing. Sometimes I have to let that settle in my spirit because I can read the verses and know a truth here, but when I let it settle in my spirit, that I get a piece of him every time God gives me a revelation. I just think, who are we? He's so good. Who does that? I'll tell you who, our God, our Lord, our Savior. What an honor. And this is the best part, you guys. We go from faith to faith and glory to glory. So guess what? It just gets better and better and better every day. Every time we behold his glory, every time we gather together and worship, we get more and more and more of him. We're literally transformed into more of his image. What an honor. And I just feel like this needs to be said. So if the devil's pointing out to you everything that's wrong, you just remind him, no big deal, because I'm coming into more glory tomorrow. No big deal. I'm not worried about that. Stop telling me who I'm not. Let me tell you who he's making me to be. 
You guys are awesome. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. Ambassadors of the creator of the universe. Goes on and it says, all that belongs to my father is mine. That's why I said, the spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. In a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. Say, what? What are you talking about, Willis? Go ahead and go to the next slide. I can imagine standing there in front of Jesus and just being like, um, are you talking riddles to us now, Lord? Like, could you clarify what's going on here in a little while? You will see me no more than after a little while you can see me. Could you be a little more specific? Anybody want God to be a little more specific when it comes to your trials where you can't see him and you're going through? Anybody been on their face crying out to the Lord, Father, when? Father, how? Father, what? Father, help. Right? And we have these moments in our journey and our walk with the Lord where it's like, I can't see you. And in our infant state as a believer, sometimes we cry like the baby in a crib or the toddler on the toddler bed because we can't see anything around us. And he comes back in and he affirms us and he loves us and he comforts us and he says, baby, I didn't go anywhere. I'm right here. I'm okay. You're okay. I have not left you. And I never will. But I need you to be okay with operating when you can't see me because I want you to hear even the faintest whisper of my voice and be able to recognize it. In this darkness that's pervading, I've actually created you to destroy the darkness because my light and my glory dwells in you. So I need you to get familiar with this process because you were created to overcome it. You were created to call, call and to command all these demonic entities and everything that opposes me and my kingdom under the feet of my throne and my son, under his footstool. So I need you to look and to gaze and to be still and to know I have not changed and I have not moved and I am here with you. But this is actually what I've called you to. And that you don't have to be afraid because I am with you. You were made for this moment. I have trained you. I am teaching you. I have given you everything you will need. Do you, will you, can you trust me? When we get a prophetic word or a directive from the Lord, at first we see it so clearly. Isn't it awesome when you first get that word and you're like, this is so good. And we do our little dance. Yeah, come on, Jesus. Let's get this. Right? I remember a word Jamar gave me about a glory train and all this other stuff. And I was like, yeah. He gave me another word one time about um, these big footprints in the realm, spiritual realm that I was going to have. I did not understand the process I was going to have to go through to get that footprint. So I was hype and celebrating like, come on, God, glorify your name. Have your way. But guess what? If more of his glory is going to be in me, guess what? Less of me is going to be around. <laughs> I was like, Lord, <laughs> I'm dying again. <laughs> right? More of him, less of me. Remember John the Baptist said that. And really that's the process that we're in over and over and over again. More of you, Lord, less of me. And that doesn't mean that our personality disappears. It doesn't mean that our skill sets and our gifts disappear. It means that our will 
more and more of our will and our mind and our emotions and our heart and our time, treasure, and talents are submitted to his agenda for every moment of every day so that he can be glorified. And so that multitudes can hear the same hope that we heard and be encouraged the same way that we were encouraged. Amen? So he says here, in a little while, you'll see me no more. And then after a little while, you'll see me. What, 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 what? So we get these prophecies and we're excited at first. And we think we know what they mean and we think we see clearly, but we really see through a glass darkly. <laughs> but that's God's kindness, right? Think about when he talked to Moses and the bush was burning. It was all exciting. There was fire and it was bright and it was beautiful. And Moses was like, ooh, what is that? He does a little something to get you excited. You see the fire in somebody else. You see the fire in the word or in the church or in the potential of fulfilling the call of God in your life. And that is his love towards you. He draws you in. And you're like, yeah, that's good, right? It's like the kids when we mix the applesauce and the spinach together. Chugga, 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 choo, choo. It's got a little bit of sweet in it first, right? That's his love. Because he knows how we are. He knows what we're up against. He lived here. Right? Jesus walked this earth. There was no mention of the plagues. Can I just throw that out there when he talked to Moses? The Lord did not mention the plagues one time. In fact, he said he would strike Pharaoh with all the wonders. Ooh, that sounds kind of interesting and cool and mysterious, right? And so Moses might have been like, hmm, all oh, the wonders, what does that mean? Oh, that sounds pretty interesting. I'm getting excited about this. There was no mention of the persecution. He did say, I know he won't let you go unless a mighty hand compels him to go. He didn't say nothing about the ten plagues and what he was going to do and that the eldest was going to die and everybody was going to hate Moses. He did not say that. I will compel them with my mighty hand. God is so wise. If he told Moses, Moses, and I'm like, yeah, nice try, Lord. I definitely know you got the wrong person now. You're going to need to go find yourself another shepherd because this shepherd, I already made a mess there, murdered that guy. They're already mad at me. There's no way I'm going back to Ramesses to do this, right? But God's so wise. I will show him my mighty hand. Not, I will kill his eldest son, and then I'm going to call you out, <laughs> Right? Interesting. No mention of the fact that the land where he was bringing them, that they would have to, let me scroll down here, drive out all of those ites. He said, I'm taking you to a land flowing with milk and honey, where the Hittites and the Jebusites and all these ites live. He didn't say all the ites want to kill you and destroy you and are full of idol worship and you're going to have to overcome. But that was the reality. God's wise. So sometimes when we get the initial word, it's okay that we don't see the full picture and we just kind of see part of it. God knew all of these things were going to happen when he called the Israelites. But in his love for them, he didn't reveal the fullness of everything they were going to have to endure at once. And that's his kindness towards us. How many of you, if you looked back over your life and understood every trial you were going to have to endure, would not have been overwhelmed? Anybody? Mm -mm. 
Oh, there would have been a lot of no's. No thank yous. My name is, no, my number is, no. I'm going to take a low, low path that doesn't go there. <laughs> I'm cool being a nobody. <laughs> right? Like not fulfilling a lot of things. But in his love, he didn't reveal it to them all at once because he knew they wouldn't have gone. But just because you realize that it doesn't mean that you're not called. Just like Laura was saying, the biggest struggle for us sometimes is like, I am afraid, I'm scared, I don't understand. How are you calling me? The scripture says he chooses the weak things of the world. So congratulations. If you're struggling or have ever struggled, you are perfectly qualified. And in fact, you're the exact one that the Lord wants. Welcome to the club. This is the march of the unqualified. Apart from Christ, we are unqualified. David had an affair. Moses got kept out of the promised land because he had an anger issue. Peter literally rebuked God. Literally rebuked God. Imagine that one. I'm going to have a great conversation with Peter about that because I've had those conversations with my, the Lord myself. Paul was murdering Christians. Saul, before he came Paul, was literally murdering Christians. This is the march of the unqualified. Mary was possessed literally with demons. The woman caught in adultery was, hello, caught in adultery. <laughs> this is the march of the unqualified. But he qualifies the unqualified with a single drop of his blood and the finished work of his son. Turn to your neighbor and say, you, actually just say this about yourself. Say, I am fully qualified by the finished work of the son of God. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Let that settle in you. Let that settle. That is truth. That is truth. So there's these seasons where we can't see what's coming, and sometimes God doesn't allow us to see the fullness of what's coming because we can only handle the little bit he's showing us and still move forward in faith. But we can thank him for that. The statement he makes here is so very important. He goes on later in the verse and tells us where he was going. Where was he going? In John 17, he tells us, I am going to my father. And what does he say? And to your father. He was preparing them. He's not just my father. He's your father. And Paul tells us later, we can call him Abba, Father. We can call him Daddy, Father. He wanted his disciples to understand that they were about to be adopted by his Father, the King of the universe, creator of all things, his Father, who would soon become their Father because of the finished work he was about to complete on behalf of all who were willing to humble themselves and receive the truth that they needed a Savior and receive the mercy offered by Father God through his work. And that being called his child was the key to doing the works that Jesus did and more. 
And if you look at the corporate body right now, that's the revelation. The biggest revelation that God is bringing forth is our identity as children of God. And it's because it is the key to his glory. When we know that we're children and not just workmen or workwomen, when we know that we're children and not just apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, when we know that we're children and not just part of a church, a warring church, his glory is given freely because it's in our DNA. It's who we are. It can't be separated from us because we were made new. He was the prototype and we're made in his likeness. And we can't not be glorious because we're made in the image of the glorious one. Come on, somebody. I'm just saying. We don't have to squeeze it out. We don't have to force it out. We don't have to try harder. We just got to be the children that we are. Rest. Just rest in the reality. You're already a child of God. It is already finished. Just say that out of your mouth. Say, it is finished. Okay? And just let that glory begin to stew in you. We're going to go to the next slide, baby girl. So we're going back to Isaiah 26.3. You will keep in perfect peace. Say what? Is it possible to have perfect peace? I know it is to some measure because there have been circumstances recently that I've been in. I should not have had peace at all. In a normal worldly sense, I should have been nervous or intimidated or fearful that I was going to lose something. And yet, everything within me was still. In the natural, I probably should have wanted retaliation or vindication or to defend myself. But absolutely nothing was coming up. It's, for me, the first time I felt perfect peace that strong. And I think we go from faith to faith and glory to glory. But I had such peace. How, we're going to talk about this real quick. What do we want? We want perfect peace. Anybody not want perfect peace? Anybody want to walk around in anxiety and fear and worry? Anybody enjoy that? No, me neither. <laughs> right? It's a tormenting spirit. The opposite of peace is torment and anxiety and worry and a plagued mind and a distracted mind and an unfocused mind. Nobody wants that. Right? But God made a pathway for us to have perfect peace. So we want perfect peace. We long for perfect peace. That's why we're always scrambling to change our circumstances to bring about peace, to fill the voids, to fill the holes. Right? Perfect peace in the Strong's Exhaustive Concordance is the word shalom. Shalom. And if you're familiar with the Hebrew, that Hebrew word, it means to be well, to be favored, to be a friend. That's interesting, isn't it? To be a friend. To be in good health and to be made perfect. What? That's a spiritual reality for you. 
be perfect even as I am what? Perfect. What do you mean be perfect even as you are perfect? In other words, rest in the perfect finished work on your behalf. You are literally made in the image of the prototype, and your spirit has been made perfect. And the process of sanctification, the process of maturity, is just letting that be worked out into your mind and your will and into your emotions in greater measure all the time. But your spirit man, your spirit woman, is one with the Lord. It is perfect because he is perfect. Shalom means and this is interesting. I didn't, I'd never read this before. In the exhaustive concordance, it says to be safe. I want you to say this out of your mouth. Say, I am safe. I am secure. And I am significant. Those are the three core needs of every person in the world. To feel safe, to feel secure, and to feel significant. We are safe because we are hidden in the strong tower of his name. We are secure because no matter what we go through, we're never shaken in regards to who we are as children of God. And we are significant because we're literally participating in the divine nature to bring the very kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. Come on. That's so good. Shalom means to be well, to be happy, to be friendly. It can mean welfare. Prosperity, peace, a favorable friend. It can mean to be a favorable friend, to have great and or good health. Anybody say amen to that? To be at peace, to be peaceable, to have prosperity or to prosper, to be at rest, to have safety. I thought this was interesting, to salute. In other words, to operate in honor. I hadn't seen that one before. To have welfare, to be whole or holy. Isn't that beautiful? So what do we want? We want to be whole. We want to be holy. We want to be at rest. And the Lord says, you can have that. You can have that. Amen. Isn't that good news? So who gets it? This verse tells us who gets it. Who gets to have perfect peace? Like, I want in on that. Amen. Hello. Raising my hand. Don't leave me out. <laughs> Him whose mind is steadfast. Go ahead and go to the next slide, baby girl. Him whose mind is steadfast. That's who gets to have perfect peace. I will keep in perfect peace. Him whose mind is steadfast. But when you look at the Hebrew meaning of the word steadfast, it's different than what you might think. It means to lean, him who leans into the Lord. It means to lay upon, him who lays upon the Lord. It means to rest, him who rests upon the Lord. Come on. Is that a little different than maybe what you thought? Right on? Steadfast to me, I was thinking, well, persistent, diligent, right? No. And the Hebrew, and then the, the last piece of this Hebrew word means to support. Him who allows the Lord to support them. Isn't that beautiful? And it says him whose mind is steadfast. So 
the one who leans their mind and framing and purpose and motive for doing things on the Lord. The one who rests their mind, their framing, their purpose on the Lord. The one who leans to the Lord for support in their mind and their framing and in their purpose and what it is they're called to do. The word mind in the Hebrew literally it, it implies a form. This is how we build things, okay? The how something is done. It implies the framing, how we see things, how it's structured, how things are held up. It implies the purpose or our motive or reason for doing something. It's threefold. So as we lean and lay and rest and support how we build things, how we see things, and why we do things a certain way upon the Lord, he keeps us in perfect peace. Isn't that good? All right. So that's who gets it. Then the next question is, how do I get it? Okay. How do I get it? I know what I want. I want perfect peace. I know who gets it. That's him who's steadfast and leaning in. So how do I get it? Because he trusts in you. The Hebrew word there, I think it's batach. It means to trust. It means to be bold in your trusting. And I thought this was interesting. It says it means to be careless. So in other words, I'm not going to take on the care. I'm going to be careless. I'm not going to try to worry and mull over and think through and make a checklist about all the millions of things I have to do. I'm actually going to be careless, and I'm going to lay all those cares at the feet of the Father. Come on, somebody. I joke with some of my friends um, that I do ministry with, and I say, listen, I'm not an organized person. Everyone can say amen in the room. I'm not going to be offended. We know this is true, okay? I'm a big picture person. That's the way God made me, and I just, I'm okay with it. But this is what's so cool. People, some people outside of this congregation think I'm organized, but I'm not. I just have a very detailed God. And I joke, and I say, he's the best administrator in the world. I never have to worry about what I'm doing next because I just do what Holy Spirit tells me to do and I say what Holy Spirit tells me to say and he makes me look really good. He makes me look really good because he knows what needs to happen next. He knows what needs to, to, who needs to come up and who needs to be called and what needs to be written down and when I need to have the schedule uploaded and I just listen to the Holy Spirit. And it really simplifies my life because I don't spend hours and days and years planning every detail of the next 27 years. No, and I'm not doing that. And I'm not knocking plans, okay, because there's a, there's a purpose for that. And some of y'all are really good at that, and I thank God for you in my life. But he is the best administrator literally in the world. He literally holds all of the planets and the stars and the universe and the breath and heartbeats of every individual in the palm of his hand every day and doesn't miss a beat. I think I can trust him with my little schedule and destiny, right? Mm, yeah, come on, <laughs> say that, yes. Yeah, put that out there, baby, that was, a, that was a sound. To trust means to be complacent or gives the appearance of being complacent. I was like, what? And, and, and we joke about this sometimes. <laughs> Laura and I especially, because we've been running together the longest. My best bud over here, I just want to honor you. 
Stephanie, we need to be thinking about this. I'm like, you are right. We do, and I totally hear you. But God hasn't told us to do anything about it yet, so we're going to relax, and we're just going to take a deep breath, and we're going to put it on the bullet points of things God wants us to do in the future because I'm not going to spend my next 10 days panicking about this. We're going to enjoy the, the rest of the Lord. And it gives an appearance of being complacent or not caring, but you really do care, but you're holding things so loosely because you trust God. You don't want to get in the way of his plan. And the beauty of operating that way is that we can function as a Delta Force team, then we can turn on a dime. If he changes his plan, if something happens and shifts because of the free will of an individual in our midst or in our city or in our state or in our nation or in our family, we can turn on a dime because we're not stuck to a 50-year plan and we made up our mind this is the way the ladder's going to roll. This is the way the railroad's flowing. We're putting it down one railroad track at a time as he tells us to, and we're moving, moving on up. Yes. This is interesting. To trust means to feel secure. Yeah. It means to feel secure. Isn't that beautiful? It means to have something. To trust means you already have it. You know that whatever is going on, God is so good and so faithful. You already have the thing which you need because you trust. You know who he is. It means to have confidence, to put your trust in or to rely on. It can mean to, to secure something, okay? God has the power to secure things on our behalf. He has the power to secure a position. He has the power to secure a man, a woman, a child, the finances, the job, right? Whatever it is you need. He has the all-power, all-knowing, all-ability to secure whatever you need, the favor, the opportunity, the open door. And then trust, of course, means trusting or to trust. So when we ask ourselves the question, how do we get it? We get it by trusting in God. He will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast, leaning on, relying in all everything we do on the Lord because he trusts in you. Well, next slide. I don't always trust God. Do you always trust God? Do you have moments where the Holy Spirit reveals where areas where you don't trust God? Am I only, you know, still growing person in the room? <laughs> okay. We're all still growing, right? Okay. And that's okay, right? So I love this. Romans 10, 14 in the Passion Translation says, and Paul, and Paul I, just, I just love Paul. I can relate to Paul. You know, I, I just can relate to him. The way he writes with run-on sentences, <laughs> the way he sometimes is like, do you understand you're going to die if you continue down this path? Please, for the love of the Father, shift, right? I'm begging of you, stop. You know, the drastics, kick him out, bring him back. You know, I just love Paul. So he's talking to the Roman church and he says, but how can people call on him for help if they've not yet believed? So when we look at the world and they're not trusting God and they're not believing for abortion to be overturned or, um, you know, healthy biblical marriage or for racism to be dealt with or whatever other justice issue is on your heart, they don't know him. 
Their spirits haven't been made new yet, and they don't know. But that's the love war we were prophesying into earlier, where we need to be standing for them and alongside of them and loving them, even as they don't get it. They just don't get it. He goes on to say, and how can they believe in the one they've not yet heard of? That means we got to go. We got to stay in those relationships after our Bermuda vacation with the beach and the water and the refreshing and come back to those people and be the love of God and the example in their lives, right? And how can they hear the message of life if there's no one to proclaim it? And that means that the activation of the voice that we talked about today, we can't just be present. It's not like impartation by osmosis. You're going to have to talk. That means you got to say something. you got to believe that God speaks to you and wants to speak through you. You're going to have to talk. And some of us are afraid to talk because every time we talk, you know, it's like somebody's, we're slapping somebody upside the head. Okay, well, let him love on you a little bit more. That's all right. We all start there like Peter. Rebuking the Lord, thinking we know everything, okay? Because we're just, we're just young in the Lord. But we grow up into that. And as we let him love on us, we're able to love on other people, right? So we're going to have to speak. And how can the message be proclaimed if the messengers haven't been sent? We can't just stay in church all the time. It would be nice, man. It would be nice. I know people that go from conference to conference to conference, church to church to church, meeting to meeting to meeting, but they never really get out in the world and meet anybody that doesn't know Jesus. And when they do, they're kind of judgmental, right? Like, oh, you sinners. You know who I'm talking about. You heathen. Well, yeah, they're heathen just like you used to be. Let me remind you where you came from. Right? All have sinned. Not some, not just those heathen out there. All have sinned. Guess what? That means you were a sinner saved by grace too. And fallen short of the glory of God, but for the grace of God. The Lord says, there go I. We have to go. We have to be sent. So if we're going to trust, next slide, baby girl, in the Lord, we have to know who God is. And this is what I find is most missing in the lives of Christians and why so often, even in the body, even in the unified body, people struggle with unity People struggle with loving one another. People struggle with waiting on God to do a work and wanting it to happen now, and, and that's probably more my thing, you know. They struggle with jealousy and wanting what someone else has or wanting someone else's position or judging another believer for the area they're grown in as if they've somehow already arrived. So we're going to walk through these. In order to trust God, we have to know who he is. And I love the names of God because if you go through the Bible, Old Testament to New Testament, God reveals his name over and over and over again in different ways. And he basically tells you who he is. And it, sometimes it takes time to learn them all. But if you get a chance, I know we did the Bible study here, Knowing God by Name, which had a lot of these names in there. But it's so important when you're in that place where you can't see and you can't hear and you're not sure and you've got the prophetic word but it hasn't manifested yet that you go back and remember who he is, okay? Sometimes we need a refresher. So if you have the Daniel Duval book, a lot of these names are in that book. And I pray this prayer 
almost every week and very often every day. Because the names of God are so powerful and because the work that I do is just, you know, you got to be ready to bob and weave like at any minute. If you're a boxer, you know what I'm talking about, okay? You got to be ready to bob and weave because it's coming from the left, from the right, from the back, from the front. And so you got to be sensitive and you got to know who God is and be able to trust in him all the time because something's always coming. Because unity is the greatest threat to the enemy. Because when we're unified, God commands a blessing, commands a blessing. And when we're unified, it says the world will know. It's our greatest testimony for the world knowing that God sent his son and has loved us and also loves them. So this is going to help you trust. It's going to help me trust. It's a great refresher course. You ready? Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides or provided the sacrifice so you don't have to. So just say it I'll say, I don't have to sacrifice. Okay, he did that for you. And this name is first mentioned back when Abraham took Isaac up to the mountaintop. I know that you love me. You gave your son, your one and only son that you love. Remember, what did he do? He provided the ram. And sometimes it looks like we're going to have to give this up or give that up. But the Lord says, I got you. Jehovah Rapha, he is the Lord God, our willing healer. He is always willing to heal. And that doesn't mean that you won't have symptoms or a diagnosis like Lear was talking about earlier. But he is your willing healer. He wants to heal you. And he is healing you. He is healing you. Even getting more revelation on the prog, on the diagnosis is a win from the Lord because now you know what's really coming at you. And some of you have seen some wins that way lately. You've gotten more insight, more revelation, more understanding. Okay, now I know what I'm fighting. I know what's really going on here. That's half the battle because we can pray more specifically. He's Jehovah Shammah, the Lord who is always with us. It means the ever-present God. He's with us. He's in our midst. He's Jehovah Nisi, which means his banner over us is love. So everywhere you go, just picture him with like a flag over your head that says, I love this one. I love this one. This one's mine. She's special. He's special. Isn't that beautiful? He's Jehovah Tekenu. He's the Lord God, our righteousness. He is our righteousness. You are made righteous because of the finished work of Jesus. You are already righteous. Say, I am righteous. Yes, you are. You are righteous. He is our righteousness. So when you fail, just get back up. Well, I am righteous because he is righteous. Father, forgive me again. Thank you that your righteousness is enough for me. Amen? He's Jehovah Mekadesh. He's our sanctifier. Okay? So it goes back to the push, right? I mean, we got to push through some things, but we don't have to make our sanctification happy, uh, happen in and of ourselves, okay? Once your spirit is made new, it's naturally going to happen because the love of God is birthed within you. It's been poured out in your heart through Christ Jesus, your Lord, and you can't help but become something new. Oh, my gosh, I don't know what to do. I don't know what's wrong with me. I love all these people. I'm crying like a baby. I want to tell everybody all about Jesus. When you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, it just happens. 
you're just different and you're going, well, welcome to the new normal. It's a beautiful thing. Jehovah, he is Jehovah Ra'ah. He is the Lord God, our shepherd. He's the good shepherd. He looks out for the sheep. He lays down his life for the sheep. He leads you beside the still waters. He knows when you're stuck in a little crevice and you got yourself stuck because you were freaking out, jumping over the holes. You know, he's going to grab you by the leg and throw you up over his shoulders. He knows when to break your legs and when he needs you to be still. They did that back in the day. That's what the shepherds would do. If that sheep kept running off, I mean, can you imagine? I can imagine that it was a last resort. That shepherd would break the sheep's legs. And that makes me want to cry. He'd bind them up and he'd put the sheep around his neck. And he'd carry the sheep with him. So the sheep would get so used to being with the master or the shepherd that he wouldn't wander away again. But that's love. That's a good shepherd. Why? Because the wolf was going to eat the sheep. So break its legs or let it get eaten for lunch. I'll break its legs, thank you. Right? And it seems harsh, but it's love because he's the good shepherd. All right? Jehovah Gabor. I spelled that wrong on there. My apologies. He is our strong and mighty God. So I don't care what principality or what demon you are facing wherever you are at, God is the strong and mighty God, and he is bigger and he is badder, and he created that thing, and he has no problem silencing the mouth of whatever comes against you. He is God. They didn't exist until he created them. He can silence them in a second. He is strong and he is mighty. He is Jehovah Elohim. This is a plural word. He is our creator God of all things. You might not see a way out. He can speak one into existence. He can give you a prophetic word or a word of knowledge or a prayer to pray. And in the spirit, a door opens up and he gives you favor with this or with that or brings provision when there wasn't a way. And all of a sudden, you got the check in the mailbox that you need to do what you needed to do so that he could be glorified and your family could be taken care of. And your whole house doesn't go in foreclosure. He's that God. He's the creator God. He can make something out of nothing. So it doesn't matter if you feel like you got nothing. It doesn't matter if you feel like you're facing the worst warfare of your life. He's the creator God. When he gives you a word, you just say it. And everything shifts because it was a rhema word from him. You're made in his image. When he speaks to you and through you, it shifts atmospheres. It creates things. He's Jehovah Sabaoth. He is the God of the angels of hosts. And I just want to say this out loud because we talk all the time. A third of the angels fell. Uh, there's demons all over the world. Uh, Satan and his cohorts fell. Well, let me tell you something. If you do the math, two-thirds didn't fall. Guess what? Many more are them that are with us than those that are against us. In fact, twice as many. So there's two holy, on fire, obedient, devil-stomping angels for every disobedient demon on the earth. You ain't got to worry about getting your behind kicked. Guess what that means, guys? We always win. Okay? I'm just throwing that out there. That's good. Enjoy it. Amen. He's Jehovah Eswas. 
He is our God who is both creator and judge. And we talked about this not too long ago. There's a time to birth and to create and to bless. And there's a time to say, Mene, mene, te kel son. You've been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Enough is enough. And you've made your choice. And that's a weighty thing, but it is a necessary thing in this world for God to have his glory. We can trust our God. He's Jehovah Hosina. Next slide. He's our God who made us. In other words, he has the ultimate instruction manual about how you work. You think you know you because you've been with you the whole time, but I'm telling you, he has the instruction manual. He formed you in your mother's womb. You're fearfully and wonderfully made, and he knows what he created you to do, so just relax and go along for the ride. Ask the writer of the manual, how did you make me to work? Reading his word is so important. He made you. You can trust him. You can trust him when the enemy says, oh, girl, you ain't going to survive this. Boy, you ain't going to survive this. Gosh, I don't know. He made you. When he tells you to sing in the hospital, what sense does that make? I can't breathe, Lord. Remember Brent told us that testimony? I could barely breathe. The Lord says to me, sing, worship. Are you kidding me? He made him. And Brent knew I'm going to trust him because he made me. And he released the sound and the song of the Lord. And what happened? His lungs began to fill up. Why? Because he obeyed the writer of his instruction manual. Come on, somebody. He's El Shaddai, our God, who is more than enough. He's not just enough. He's more than enough. When everyone leaves and everything looks like it's a mess and the whole room is dark and you're on that front line and the enemy keeps coming, you got to remember, two to one ratio, just say that out loud, say two to one. Two at my side, one for the enemy. The score is always two to one. Okay? He's more than enough. He is El Elyon. He is the Lord of the heavens and the Lord of the earth. He's got it dealt with in the second heaven. He's Lord. That means he's controller. He's all powerful. It don't matter what's operating in the second heaven over a city. Guess what? He's Lord. It doesn't matter what's operating on the earth or in a specific region that it seems to not be of God or seems not to be good. There's always hope because he's Lord of heaven, in the heavenlies, and of earth. He is Lord. I'm just seeing David right now. How dare you defy the armies of the living God? How dare you defy the armies of the living God? Little redhead, maybe. They said he was ruddy, small and ruddy, swinging that rock, telling the enemy off. How dare you defy the armies of the living God? You know what David knew? David knew who God was. He knew it wasn't in his own might, in his own strength, in his own stature. He knew who God was. He wasn't drawn on his own strength. He was drawn on the strength of the Lord. And he let that rock sling right between the brows. Down goes the greatest giant the army had faced. And he's so bold. He's so trusting in God. He said, I know what the Lord told me to do. He grabs that giant by the head and cuts off his head with his own sword. 
Not only did I tell you to stop mocking the armies of the living God, but I'm going to destroy you with a simple tool, a single stone in the hand of a ruddy, seemingly insignificant, small individual because I want you to know that I choose the weak things of the world to confound the wise, and I can destroy you with a rock, with a pebble. And then I'm going to give him the supernatural strength of the small and ruddy one to pick up this huge sword of Goliath. Okay, so this is a six-foot giant. Imagine how big his sword was and how heavy it was. Little ruddy David comes up, picks that sucker up supernaturally, swings it, severs Goliath's head from his neck, from his body, and then has the supernatural strength to hold the head of a however many foot man, whatever it was. It wasn't six feet. I said six feet. It was nine feet. Thank you, Jamar. A nine-foot man like this. That took supernatural strength for a small and ruddy man. That's who our God is. El Olam. We can trust him because he's El Olam. He's the covenant-keeping God. He doesn't walk away. God doesn't leave us when things get hard. He's not intimidated by our fears or our problems or our struggles. He never leaves us. He's not an abandoning God. He doesn't abandon us. He's a covenant-keeping God. He's El Roy, our God who sees us in our pain, okay? Now, that goes to Hagar. You remember when Abraham and Sarai were not so kind to Rahab, I'm not Rahab, excuse me, um, thank you, Hagar, remember? And she got pregnant with Ishmael, and Ish they started mocking Sarah, which probably set Sarah off, and Sarah rebuked her and told her basically to get out. Well, yelled at Abraham really and told him to kick her out. After she told him to sleep, he, she told him to sleep with her. <laughs> he is El Roy. He even cared about Hagar in that moment after she behaved the way she behaved and said, you know what, honey, I see you in your pain. And he gave her a prophecy about her son and the way he would work through her son. He sees us in our pain. Our God, we can trust him because he is Yeshua HaMashiach. He is our kingsman redeemer. He is our savior. He loved you and he loved me so much that he came and he laid down his life for mine, his life for yours. And anyone that's a ride or die like that, forever strong. Right on. And then this is the greatest name of all. Next slide. He is Abba. He is Father. Our Father is perfect love and is all those other things we mentioned as well. He is watching over you in all of his power, in all of his wisdom, in all of his creativity, with his masses of angel armies to ensure that you are protected and loved and provided for and guided into the very thing that he created you to do. And there will be times where it's a mystery and you don't understand and you think, am I created for this? And he says, can you trust me? Remember who he is and say, yes, Lord. Yes, I can. Can you trust me? This doesn't make sense, Father God. Remember who he is and say, yes, Lord. Yes, I can. This really hurts, Father God. I don't understand why it's taking so long. But he says, remember who I am. Can you trust me? And just say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. 
Because we can. We can always trust him because he is always, always good. We can trust he is always willing to do good toward us and through us and always well able to keep us. That's how we remain in perfect peace because we know the father of our family that we've been adopted into. And we know in our learning who he created us to be and that we're more than we ever thought we really were. And it's glorious. Thank you for listening today. Take a moment and ask Holy Spirit what he wants you to do with what you've learned. And remember, with God, all things are possible. So keep dreaming, keep praying, and simply obey. Because God is good, and he has good plans for you. You can subscribe to our blogs, learn about our speakers, and even hear from one of our team members how you can take part in transforming a city, your city with Christ. There's no time like the present. Visit ShekinahOnline.com. If this doesn't excite you, watch for our new and God-inspired product line, a newly released book by Stephanie Butler, more testimonies from our listeners like you, working to bring unity in cities across the world. If you feel led to support our podcast, you may do so on our Shekinah.com website. Or if you would like to support us monthly, there is a link labeled Listener Support on every podcast. Until next time, we thank you, we love you, have a blessed day.